Hello and welcome back to part two of this episode of Cathedral Conversations About Race, where Kara Peterson and I interview each other. That's so interesting. And like, I, I've been thinking a lot too, since you mentioned to me the first time that you were like, good thing I have a name like Michael. It's so, so popular and everywhere. It, it's, really kind of been a kind of a, a key card to get into some stuff that might have otherwise been a little difficult which I hate to say but um, I've experienced the same sort of thing um, if you look at my name without my middle name which is Japanese um, Kara Peterson looks pretty pretty white <laughs> Just, yeah. um, and you know P I know Peterson is a Scandinavian name even though that was not actually my family's original name I'm not Scandinavian. I'm not that cool. <laughs> but it's, I've always wondered because of course with the Japanese American experience, especially for Amer uh, Japanese immigrants and their children and grandchildren who moved to, the, to, especially for those who moved to the mainland United States California, Oregon, and Washington, who got put into the camps with Executive Order 9066 in 1942, I guess, after the Pearl Harbor attacks, yeah. um, no matter what they looked like. And of course, a lot of them still had all the Japanese names and still do. Um, and I've always thought that it's sort of like that kind of like ethnic group trauma of getting sent to prison camps literally because of what you look like. That's part of what the executive order says is all people of Japanese ancestry. So like no matter what your name is, no matter whether you were born in the US or not, and a lot of the people who were thrown into those camps were, is really, you know, it, it sort of precipitated to different, I don't know if that's the right word. I'm looking at the weather, sorry. Um, God, I'm, I'm terrible. I'm anyway. That has sort of branched off in two different ways. Uh, either first, there are families who were really proud to step into their Japanese-ness and their Asian-ness and, you know, go to the Bonodori Festival in, in July or August and dance for the dead ancestors and put on the kimono and stuff and, you know, everything. Or there were families and especially ones that were in the Midwest and really more white dominated where they didn't have the, the rest of the Japanese American community to help support them, just sort of not shrunk, but they, but there, there was, there was a sense of, we have to be as American or what I, personally now read as white we have to act more white we can't use our Japanese names we can't you know don't put on your kimono in public don't you know don't don't do itadakimasu when you're at a restaurant or anything like that and so there was either this huge shooting up in pride or it all just sort of got trampled down but there's also I at the risk of generalizing too much. At least in Japanese culture, there's just such a, there's just such a devotion to keeping up 
communal goodness i guess or like kind of like your heritage and you know not like making sure you acknowledge what people did in your family in order for you to exist today and so one of the ways that has manifested is in a lot of japanese americans having uh an english name and then a japanese name and -hmm. for the older folks um it was actually switching back and forth where like when they were at work, they would go by, you know, Wanda or Eileen. But as soon as we all got together for bone dance or we're like eating brunch with all the, our, our Japanese aunties and grannies and stuff, it was Hatsune, it was Seiko, it was Reiko. Like, <laughs> you know, because like, there's no reason to kind of conceal that when you're around other people who you don't have to explain your name <laughs> to or explain how to say or um in one of our upcoming episodes we will probably touch on this in much more depth but there's there's this sort of like weird block for americans sometimes where it's really difficult for them to make the effort to say names correctly um and i would say too that kind of on the same end my my parents uh have been married for 40 years and my mom didn't ever take peterson as her last name she retained her last name which is japanese and so that was good in a couple ways because the first thing is that because it was it still kind of is even in japan it's sort of an unusual name like not Mm. that unusual but sort of unusual but we're uh, our family is listed under her maiden name in the phone book if those exist anymore because she knew that we'd be the only like it would be easier than trying to look up peterson you know (laughs) know, and so that was nice because then it was easy to just say just look up you know x or when we did get calls we could tell who actually wanted to talk to her because they could it was like a, a litmus test. If they could say her name correctly, then oh, I would give her the phone. That's and amazing. Yeah. And if they couldn't, they're like, is Ray, Hannah, Jaira, or like whatever there, I'd be like, no, there's no one here of that name and hang up. Because <laughs> like, it was just, it wasn't worth the, it wasn't, it wasn't worth the emotional labor to be like, you're saying that so wrong. Like there's even kind of a, an English speaking sort of unspoken standard when you say Japanese words but it's so straightforward like you don't have to do all the the nasal things you don't have to do the weird flipped r but it's so straightforward yeah especially compared to the other kind of um the other kind of corruptions that happen in a lot of uh non-latin non-germanic based languages uh when you try to shove them into latin alphabets (laughs) so you had mentioned okay i'm probably going to misremember this detail but it was the friends on your mom's side of the family or your mom's friends who uh they had their japanese name which they would use in conversation and community with each other and then when they were out in the world as it were then they would use their their anglo name Mm-hmm. And in, in a way that reminds me so much of code switching, which 
that's what it is yeah it's it's exactly what it is in a very very over overarching sense is that you know you don't it's just easier most of the time for both parties which Mm -hmm. is a shame because it it's always come out of a place of oh it's it's it feels like too much work and also it's kind of not the person's job to you know have to try to continue correcting someone on how that person wants to be addressed like for us we go hi I'm Kara hi I'm Michael they know what to call us by or you know god forbid Ms. Peterson I never even remembered an answer to that good lord (laughs) but (laughs) but it's not always so straightforward and it's, I mean, it's one thing to hear a name mispronounced, but hmm. it's a, like having your own little enclosed community where it feels safe to, in, in this particular case, be their full Japanese selves and be able to speak in interspersed English and Japanese and, yeah. you know. Honestly, there was a part of it that was exactly, sorry, not exactly the same, but very similar. It wasn't just the name. I mean, my parents knew what they were doing when they called, when they gave me the name Michael, because a name like Michael goes so much further in the world than a traditional Sri Lankan name. But they also, I think, knew what they were doing when they spoke to me in English. So among themselves, they would speak to each other in Sinhala, the Sri Lankan language. And, you know, sometimes they can rest in English as well. But to me, it was always in English because, again, English goes further than any other language in the world. I mean, you know, with all due respect to Mandarin or Cantonese or Hindi or anything like that, the lingua franca of the world is still English. Yeah. And um, uh, that's why English is the only language that I can speak. And ironically, it turned out to be something I'm really good at. I mean, to to be able to do a podcast like this, to write for a living, which is what I do, to coach public speaking for a living, which is another thing I do, or anything I do is, anything I do professionally is rooted in the fact that I can speak English well. And so we've had this conversation many times, and I'm sure this conversation will come up many, many more times. I when... think you know exactly what story I was about to refer to. <laughs> <laughs> do you want to tell it or do you want me to? <laughs> oh, you do it. You're chomping at Again, the bit. You go for it. Here we go. My favorite weird code switching slash misreading example are things like when, and it's not just Michael, but he brought up the point when people have, usually white people have come up to him and said something along the lines of, oh, you're so well-spoken. And that, you know, I, I, again, I, I mean this with all due respect. And, but you wouldn't go up to any of our clergy and you wouldn't go up to Steve Thomason and say, oh, you're so well-spoken. You know, mm-hmm. or you wouldn't go up to, to like, that, that's something that tends to only happen to darker-skinned adults uh, because there's this weird standard of, if you're not white, you're not going to be educated or you won't be able to speak English well. I and, actually do have a, I have a story related to this. Ooh, ooh. If Yes, um, it, it goes way far back. Um, when I was in first grade, uh, I went to a school in 
kind of a sort of rich-ish area of North Seattle. Not really rich, but like we live, my parents still actually have this house in this little enclave right outside of like some semi-gated-ish communities in North Seattle. Um, and so the elementary school I went to was within like lots of big houses, beautiful view of North Puget Sound from the playground, it's great. But when I was in first grade, I got pulled into my school's only portable little, you know, enclave classroom because they didn't have enough rooms or whatever. And so I walked into this classroom with a bunch of other Asian kids from all over. And the teacher went around the room and asked us, what language do you speak at home? And many students had languages other than English that they would speak at home, but I didn't. I My family just speaks English and so they got to me and they said well we speak English at home and the the teacher looked at me and she said just English I said yeah she said there's no other language that you speak at home I went, oh. no and she went okay and then I got sent back to class now a couple of weeks later there was an assembly where, you know, all the kids go sit on the ground in the cafeteria and watch something on the stage. And it was a bunch of those kids dressed up as part of like a cultural diversity thing. Interestingly, it took me 20 years. It wasn't until I was in my mid twenties when I thought about that. And I was like, that was weird and racist, <laughs> you know? And it's the same thing that we always have been coming back to where clearly the intention was not to be like, let's put these, yeah. you know, like put these kids on a cart and parade them around and wearing, but the, them, yeah. but the way it was executed ended up being, let's put these kids in a cart and parade them around. Um, and so we can feel good about ourselves for being diverse. Yeah, well, exactly. And like the thing that really got me is that these are elementary school students, you know, yeah. these are, these are five to 11 year olds that they're just like, okay, like, I was like, it was, yeah. And I, at the time I was like, oh, well, like I didn't get to do the assembly thing, you know, whatever. <laughs> but, <laughs> but looking back on it later, I, I realized, and that was when I started coming up with the, the, um, the checkbox versus <laughs> uh, actual action. If you, you know, you say, oh, look, we've showcased all of the Asian cultures we have in our school that's enough to combat racism and everybody have a nice MLK day, you know? Um, when of course that's not the case at all. And looking back, I don't know how they would have done that differently except to just not do it at all. But it's just, <laughs> it was like, like, I don't, like, I, I wish I'd had the guts at six years old to say my dad's white or something <laughs> you know, just to just do something really dry and blunt at that time although it may surprise you to hear that I did not start getting really loud all the time until about sixth grade I was pretty quiet in elementary school if you can believe <laughs> it so <laughs> it was 10 wow. years of bottling it up and now you're all dealing with the consequences <laughs> good about time <laughs> But enough about me. I'm always yelling. What about you, Michael? Have there any been any of those sorts of like bristly moments, maybe interactions? How can I 
really go off the deep end about. Uh, probably all the times people have thought I was Indian. Yeah. That could, that yeah, just be a lot assuming of that you're it's like, oh yeah, you're from New Delhi, aren't you? Like, yeah. And let me tell you about the Bollywood movie I saw. I don't understand a word of Hindi. What the hell do I know about like, Bollywood? <laughs> and this is another thing too, where it's like, I've and actually, if, if you can fit this part in about addressing my own racism, I'm happy to have it in there. I don't care. But that's another thing that I have been learning about as an American uh, in particular is that despite what I see on TV, America is not the center of the world. And there is so much more stuff. Mm. And there's, as a result, and it's been really harmful, there's no framework of different countries outside of the United States, especially if they're not democratic slash democratic socialists and like, and haven't been since 1945 or like have been since 1945. And so like, I just wouldn't, it wouldn't have even occurred to me to try to distinct you between like Sri Lankan and, you know, just like, I literally just didn't know. Yeah. You know what I didn't do is assume that I did and ask you about it. So. Oh, that that really splits the difference right there. Yeah, and so like I knew I didn't know, but it just I I already had the sense that I was like, that's a really difficult question to ask Michael. Why would so, I do that to him? Like, yeah. you know. <laughs> so. Yeah, you had mentioned this earlier that there are things that we don't know, and sometimes we don't know those things that we don't know. That's, yeah, to, to quote our, uh, one of our old, uh, what was it, uh, Secretary of Defense, Defense or whatever Defense, I think, was. yeah. But yeah, there, yeah, there are known unknowns, but there are also a lot of unknown unknowns. And as much as I hate to pull a quote from such an odious time, <laughs> uh, <laughs> that that's a, a little bit what it is and, you know, that's also not to say that every person of color knows everything else about every other person of color. The experience of a Black American will be really different from a Dubai national of Sri Lankan heritage who lives yeah. in the United States now. Yeah, imagine that. Something you that are the does pinnacle of everything America should be proud about, by the way, Michael. I just want you to know that. And I also want you to put that into the podcast because you have really exciting family heritage you grew up in a in a family having to move somewhere for work situation and then yeah. you're here like you have everything it's like and now you have america which you know i'm sorry you don't have to put that in but except please do put the you encompass everything that's great about america and because i i truly do believe it I don't, there's, there are very few other countries who for this long would have allowed that to happen. And we almost didn't after this administration. Definitely don't put that in yet. No, I'll put it, I'll like, bleep it out, but I'll put it in. Oh, <laughs> but, but like, it's just Thanks the fact that. that we can have so many stories to tell is yeah. so exciting. I love it. I love it. I love learning about people. Yeah, that's why we're I, here. That's why yeah. we're doing every part of this. Exactly. It's important that you mention the intentionality of it, that in 
in in cases like these, the microaggressions, as they're known, uh, there's never the intention to be oh. racist or insulting. So, for no. example, that whole thing about, oh, Michael, you're so well spoken. I've had that line given to me so many times by so many people from people who in every other way were exceptionally good to me. And I'm thinking of somebody I know from one of my old churches who helped me out emotionally, honestly, even financially when I really needed it, but who would always praise the way I spoke. And at the time, you know, I accepted it as a compliment, but now knowing what I know and knowing how much I've changed, it just, it, it's, as you said, it's not a compliment that will be given to anybody else except based on skin color that of course we wouldn't expect you to be well-spoken. So the fact that you are well-spoken exceeds our expectations. And if those are the expectations, those are really low expectations. And I think, as you said, that goes back to so many of the experiences that people of color have in a white dominated space, whether that space is the Pacific Northwest or Seattle or the Episcopal Church or St. Mark's is that no, there's never anything harmful meant by those overtures but they're they can yet strike so deeply because they are so misguided that it unintentionally unwittingly but uh, unerringly sets up a double standard sets up such a distinct break in how we are seen and that was really a big part of why we wanted to do this podcast is because we know there are other people at saint mark's who are people of color who have in some way or another endured misunderstandings, miscommunications like these. Uh, we've heard some of those stories told to us privately. And uh, as the series progresses, we will talk about some of those stories. Uh, but just hearing the way that uh, the BIPOC folks of St. Mark's have had to sometimes suffer those slights in silence because it's a coffee hour or it's in a meeting where everybody's looking at them because they're the only person of color there. And it's not the time or the place to bring it up. And like you said, it's just not worth that emotional uh, toll to tell somebody what you, you, there's something deeply wrong with what you said, or there's something deeply wrong with the way that uh, you think you can touch my skin because it looks so different or touch my hair because it looks so different. Nobody wants to have those conversations especially in the moment in the moment you just want the moment to be over and done with yes <laughs> yeah i it, it for lack of a better term it it just hits different mm, when you know it just the you know people it, it's the same with anything else you know different people will take information or you know sentences slightly different ways but again with the underlying assumption that a person of color wouldn't speak English at home or wouldn't be well spoken with my air quotes that none of you will be able to see but Michael can on our zoom call here uh you know well well spoken or you know you're such a good writer or anything like that is just it's under the assumption that you've Sometimes it, it just feels like someone's discovered a new island and found a civilization they're unfamiliar with and just assumed that because they don't 
conduct society the exact same way you do on your weird boat uh that they're not smart or they're not i believe you describe colonialism oh my gosh did i interesting <laughs> interesting i do have one point i actually do want to make that is related to all of that and that is not all of the experiences that we'll be talking about are bad mm. and in fact I would like to list a couple really nice ones right now and describe why they felt good and were better than sitting at coffee hour and being told, oh, you're so well-spoken or something like that. <laughs> but um, but there have been a lot of folks who have been really interested in learning about Japanese stuff, um, which my favorite story is having gone to a little... Uh, like luncheon party with some of the 7am folks and uh, I hope she doesn't mind that I use her name but Emily Meeks was was really really fun to talk to in that and uh, at the time uh, she and her husband had been planning a trip to Japan uh, that was supposed to take place in late 2020 and of course did not end up happening but at the time uh, she was getting really pumped up about that and and so she she and Hisako Beasley and I were talking and she mentioned, you know, I'd love to learn how to, like, I need to learn how to use chopsticks, like really, you know, dexterously before I go, because I don't want to be that person asking for forks in Japan, you know, and, and so Hisako and I were like, oh, we'll teach you, you know, like, and Emily got really excited and she had her own lacquered pair with her that she just <laughs> carried around and was really into it and like took the time to to say I mean you know without being like hey you're Japanese but like taking the context like well Karen Hisako probably know how to use chopsticks maybe they'll be able to help and and it wasn't it wasn't just sort of like hey you you're Asian you can teach me how to you know and which is how some of the other things can come off but that yeah. was really nice or a couple of years ago um around the time that we were also doing the summer meeting groups and a little bit before that uh we had it was uh Takatos, which is uh masashi and naomi and uh kazio who sings in the cathedral choir um rick hodston who speaks japanese <laughs> uh, hisako beasley and i and uh we would hold little uh so-called japan or japanese parties and um we'd get together and at the time you know i had not learned any japanese at all and so i couldn't really participate in the talking but we would eat sushi we would they would speak in japanese and like we decided that for the summer programming that one year to open that up uh and so we had kind of a wider japanese party and uh, one of my favorite families of all time, John and Barbara Selberg, <laughs> came and, and attended. And Barbara was so sweet. She was so excited. Um, at the time, it was a couple of years after one of my mother's best friends had died. And uh, this woman and her mom and aunt uh, all came from this family who actually made most of the dances at the the Bonadori Seafair dance 
uh, that usually happens like their their mom came up with most of those dances um and so after my mom's friend had died we cleaned out her house in Renton and she had a bunch of Japanese stuff now um I won't go much into her family's story because it's not mine but uh even though her mom had been in a camp for a short time uh, her family went in the really embrace all the Japanese in this direction and so I ended up because I wanted them I ended up with three like big old plastic rubbermaid containers full of mostly uh kimono and yukata which is like the the cotton version of a a, a big silken kimono um I just I had a bunch of these and so some of them were actually like the full gown some of them are um some of the other coat things that are kind of similar and um I just had these buckets of them and so uh I think I it's like I guess like if people want to try them on or something as part of it that's fine you know I'm happy to you know stand around and be like don't fold it the wrong way or else you'll be dressed like a dead person for a funeral or whatever <laughs> um true story by the way uh, <laughs> and Barbara Selberg was so excited and she was so excited to try on one of these coats and and so because I had three boxes of them I was like well if you like it so much I don't mind if you just keep it and she really yeah like, oh, I, I can just hear this. her voice that I can yeah hear she voice. was so excited and she actually even wrote me a really nice thank you card and it, like it was and that was the thing where I was like I'm so excited to mm. share my culture or you know share my family's heritage and more about myself with with people who don't go in assuming that they're going to find out one thing or another, but instead going in and, and letting me, I guess, in this particular sense, although it's always me and Hisaka together. We're like the Batman team. It's, it's a wreck. It's great. But uh, <laughs> Which, who's who though? Who's Batman? Who's Robin? Oh, man. Guess. You know, we'll have to wait until her episode. We should ask her. <laughs> She'll be like, "Why? You're the Joker!" <laughs> oh. oh, I could totally see Hisaka doing that. Oh, she, that is oh. a Hisaka move through <laughs> and through. Uh, but Hisako actually, and she and I have done, or mostly her. That was her idea because uh, when I was in, still in high school, sometimes uh, she and I still had our little sushi parties where. Um, we'd make lots of rice and and eat sushi and sometimes invite some different people from around the cathedral to come and join us and it was the same sort of thing you know they'd come and ask how should I do this because we were doing the timaki which is the little cone rolls so you have like a, a half sheet of the seaweed the nori and then rice and you kind of wrap it all up and mm. they look fun they look like little sushi ice cream cones and like it, it's great uh but they would come in and say how do I do this you know clearly there's some sort of setup I'm not going to just barge in and be like I know how to make sushi because I saw it on tv once which obviously when these things happen is not like 
the lead in, but I, I guess dropping the assumption that that you'll just know is such yeah. a big thing. And like thinking about the way a question that you want to ask of someone is going to feel or sound to them. So mm-hmm. and then a, another pretty common one that a lot of uh, Asian Americans in particular uh, do get and a lot of I'm sure uh, Hispanic Americans too is where are you from (laughs) yeah and like just again and again same thing that we've been hammering back like straight into the bench the whole time there's never any malice behind it like they always want to know like but it's a question that should be reframed to be more like what is your cultural background or what's your family's heritage or something and I would say that part of it particularly for me is is the huge anti-immigration sentiment that's come up in the United States during my lifetime where either you're an American or you're not we're really diverse because we're American, but if you're not American, hmm. and even though, again, that's never, almost never the intention of the question, but it just comes with that kind of extra scary weight of like, gonna go report you to ICE or even though that, like, that's just one of the weird anxiety triggers that can happen mm-hmm. um, if, if a question or a curiosity isn't thought out far enough to to think about uh, the other person. You said so well the importance of the curiosity and the openness, not to go in with a presupposition that, hey, because this person has a different skin color, that means they don't speak English as well as I do. Oh, you do. How wonderful. Or because this person appears East Asian, they know how to make sushi, they know how to wear a kimono, they know how to use chopsticks, whatever. Uh, so the importance of dropping those presuppositions and just being open, being open to being surprised that yes, because this person has a different skin color, it, it, it might not mean literally anything at all. This is 2021. The world is very different from where it was 20 years ago. It's very different from where it was 30 years ago. So that willingness to to check all expectations at the door and just for questions of race or ethnicity or background, not to be, not to be the questions that color, that was a terrible pun, but not to be the <laughs> questions that color the whole conversation. Uh, so yeah, I mean, sometimes I have gotten the question of, so where are you from? And if it's in the right setting in the right place, if I'm in a place where we're talking about immigration, for example, that's a relatively relative question. Uh, Sorry, that's a relatively relevant question. But if I'm hypothetically in a meeting and if we're talking about budget, and if the question is, where are you from? Uh, That's a relatively very irrelevant question, more so than just irrelevant. Um, But yeah, like, like you have explained so well, some of the best moments I've had about St. Mark's 
in St. Mark's where I've felt seen and fully accepted as a non as a non-white person uh, have been from people just being willing to have being willing to talk, being willing to listen, and not saying, "Hey, I saw this on YouTube once. Is this true that X, Y, and Z?" And there are two. Th there's one thing that comes beautifully to memory, and that was actually with Maria Caldwell, because for a brief time in 2019, she and I were on the front door ministry together. And uh, this was when the bathroom doors in the narthex were locked, the restroom doors in the narthex were locked. So there were always a couple of, not docents, but uh, just people in the narthex uh, to direct people to the restrooms or to unlock them, or just to help out any visitors who were there. And so Maria Caldwell, Caldwell and I shared shifts for about three months, I think. And it was really the first time she and I had ever gotten together, ever had a conversation. I knew so much of her uh, from talking to you, I think, from uh, just how much she's done at the cathedral for so long. Uh, and I'm sure she had heard of me in one way or the other, but we had never had the privilege, or rather I had never had the privilege of simply sitting down and getting to know her. And there were so many of those days being in the front door ministry where honestly nothing happened nobody came through the doors at all uh but where we just talked and maria as everybody knows listening to this is a brilliant brilliant woman she's she has read everything she knows so much and she's constantly willing to learn more she's constantly willing to continue to push the boundaries of what she has learned and the fact that we could talk about some of the things that we've talked about in this conversation too. Just my experiences coming here uh, to the United States, to Seattle, to St. Mark's, uh, experiences as a non-white Christian, experiences as honestly, in many ways, the product of colonization uh, from my name, from my language, from the fact that I, I'm, I'm not Buddhist, uh, that I'm, that I'm a Christian. We talked about that stuff, and she listened, and she based on her her own experiences and her own learning she and i had amazing conversations and she never brought any presuppositions to what we talked about i think she knew stuff sure but she didn't try to impose what she knew over my experience uh, we made connections and i think that was a wonderful way to do it rather than, as you said, somebody coming into a situation and say, hey, I read this, is it true, X, Y, Z, uh, which obviously puts puts the other person in a very defensive position that now we actually have to refute that or agree to it, but not on our terms, as opposed to the conversations that Maria and I had, where it was it, it was so refreshing to be able to talk like that at the cathedral with somebody who I probably don't have a great deal in common with, but we share this same spiritual journey and the same spiritual experience. And that- I what? could always turn these into a Maria appreciation episode. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm but sure that, we could. I have, I've, I found the same thing with her. And I, I think it's a, actually, again, like exactly all of what you said is that, you know, it's a huge mistake at any point in your life to say, I'm done learning. There is nothing else 
to learn. Mm. And even with all her fancy Yale degrees and stuff, <laughs> like she has a really good sense of, I have a really kind of limited scope of what I know. Yeah. Well, so first yeah. of all, let's learn about it, but also <laughs> let's learn about it in a not terrible way. Um, <laughs> it's, yeah, there really, are good ways to be curious and there are bad ways to be curious. Exactly, yeah. But her commitment to learning about things and having a good sense of where her hard limits of her knowledge are and is just like being so conscientious of that has made it easy. Yes, although on surface, perhaps she and I also would not have as many similarities as meet the eye, mm. um, only the eye. Once you start talking to us, actually, we're, there's a lot in common. It's, it's a little eerie, but, <laughs> <laughs> but going back to it is that, you know, there are several parishioners at St. Mark's, not just Maria, who, you know, I, I love beyond all belief, but Maria is not the only person who has mm. exhibited these sorts of um, nice openness type of things that really are are good. <laughs> yeah, you mentioned uh, really quick. You mentioned Emily Meeks. Mm -hmm. uh, Emily is a good friend of mine. She we've worked together on so many things in the cathedral. It's been wonderful uh, to partner with her on so much stuff. And yeah, um, I've I mean, if if we're naming and praising. Uh, as opposed to naming and shaming, then yes. I absolutely want to say. Uh, also, with regards to this podcast, Emily has been so incredibly supportive just to check in, just to keep offering encouragement, even as it's been time-consuming and difficult to do. And again, not just the two of them, but so many people throughout the community who motivated, I, I want to think, by, by this deep fundamental calling to be a part of something bigger, than the world around us uh, you check their stuff at the door to take stock of it and then to keep pushing back on those boundaries like you said that desire to learn should never stop yeah. uh, that's what i mean not to make it too cliched or corny but in some ways i think that's why we still want to be a part of this if it felt like the ceiling was that low that the BIPOC folks at the cathedral would never be able to tell their stories and would never be able to be heard. Honestly, I think we would just move on. We would go somewhere we where we could be heard. Yeah, we, you know, this this isn't, once again, as we've said many times, our this podcast is not here to shame anyone or to make anyone feel bad about what they've done or left mm. undone, but rather besides the safe space and the, the conversational space that we're giving for each other, we're also hoping that this provides some examples and how to explore another person's history, no matter what they look like, but particularly if they are a person of color or indigenous black um, who've historically been so disenfranchised and in a way, um, even sort of just hammered into our heads that in order to protect yourself, you don't talk about your heritage because, yeah. you know, you want to be the cookie cutter, picket fence, two and a half kids, all of that sort of stuff. 
had been lost in the mid 20th century to well really to you know in the name of like anti-communism and and the like everything else and it's nice because it's this does feel like a right time uh, at St. Mark's, but also uh, in our diocese, in our national church, and as general society in the United States, where we're at that turning point where we go, okay, in the 90s, like the diversity meter was more the checkbox model. Like we got the Asian kids paraded at the parade, great. Like we mentioned Kwanzaa right before Christmas break, great. Like, you know, that at the time that's, I, I will not even say that that counted because it really didn't, but it was enough in the national eye to do, to say, okay, we've addressed racism, but now it's really down to storytelling and listening. And in some way, as it always has been down to storytelling mm-hmm. and listening and for generations, BIPOC people were not listened to. We know this full well. Uh, Now I think people are more open to stepping into that storytelling and dealing with the the guilt that might be associated with hearing some of this. Um, Like that's part of life. You know, it's the same thing. Like I said, with the brushing the teeth and having to get the plaque off, like you just, you continue doing it. You continue listening to your dentist and and you continue listening to people of color when when they say something to you or ask you not to ask or to take off an article of clothing that might not really be your heritages or you know that's exactly why we're doing this this idea of storytelling of listening and of just having that curiosity of wanting to learn more uh, not making those assumptions not bringing your own baggage uh, but being in the moment, I think, when a person of color says, here's my story, here's the good stuff, here's the tougher stuff, uh, but this is who I am, this is my experience. That's, I mean, we're obviously doing it to elevate and to spotlight these stories from people of color, but that's honestly one of the most human experiences throughout our history i think not just the history of this country but the history of us as a species Uh, i mean how much of our tradition how much of our christian tradition is based on people sitting around a campfire telling stories of where they came from and what brought them to that moment right there i mean i like to think it happened in times of persecution in times of loneliness or in times of growing And that's hopefully what we're trying to do here is grow something by sharing these stories, by giving them to the community and by saying, this is who we are. For so long, I think people have said, we want to hear from people of color. We want to read their books. We want to um, follow them on social media. We want to hear their voices. This is not going to solve racism, unfortunately, somehow, but I think it's really going to help us not just us as people of color, not just us as St. Mark's, but it's really going to help all the communities that we're a part of for these stories to be out there. Well, 
That was I don't fun. Have anything to add? That was great. <laughs> <laughs> that was a fantastic conclusion. I I I mean that in every way. Actually, I I I can't speak without chuckling most of the time. Apparently, but th- now that was great. That was a oh. really nice conclusion. And I am so much looking forward to going into this deeper and deeper, and you know, learning certainly from all the stories we're going to hear and changing too. Uh, BIPOC people have not got it all figured out. We're not unicorns or angels. Well, I mean, we are, but we're, <laughs> we're very Speak human. for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> yep, that's fair. But I, 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 I'm looking forward to seeing how these stories will also change how I think about my place in this, my part in this, and hopefully uh, that, hopefully we can look back on this a year from now, two years from now, and marvel at how naive we were. Yeah, that would be great. That's a good thing. Like, can you believe we needed to put this together? And now we don't, hopefully. I'm looking forward to learning and being able to adjust the way I see the world too. But that's enough about us. I'm really excited, and I'm sure you are too, to talk to our, our guests over the next couple of episodes here. Kara, this has been wonderful, and there's so much more that we are going to learn and discover uh, that will add to the conversations we're having at the cathedral and add to the community that we are both so blessed to be a part of. So thank you, Kara, for being a part of this. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and we will see you again soon.